You're listening to CAMS Talk, a podcast brought to you by the service users and professionals from East London NHS Foundation Trust. A podcast where you can hear us discuss, debate and challenge issues around child and adolescent mental health in the UK. Hello and welcome back to part two of episode five of the CAMS Talk podcast. You may remember if you've listened to um, part one of this episode... This is a three-part episode looking specifically at men's mental health. Now, within this three-part episode, we are looking at uh, issues of stigma, issues of self-disclosure, and we're also looking at what are the things that make it more difficult for men to discuss their own mental health. And for those of you that have already listened to part one, you'll already know that it's, it's quite a detailed discussion around the issues and difficulties that men struggle with when it comes to uh, managing and dealing with their own mental health. Um, so uh, we're just about to join the discussion where we're talking about the pros and cons of uh, self-disclosure. So let's join the conversation now. It feels as if it's a bit dismissive if they're saying, well, that affects lots of people. Yes, yeah, Actually, you, you're not thinking about those lots of people, are you? You're thinking about yourself and that's what you're there to talk about. Yeah. So that's interesting. What are your thoughts, guys, on that, on the, the whole issue of like uh, self-disclosure? I think it's something that I'm very aware of and I, I do self-disclose and I always think, why am I self-disclosing? So I reflect why, whose need am I... Whose agenda is this? Is it mine or is it theirs? Is it for for them, for their growth? Um, But yeah, like um, what Jay said, you can both have had two situations that happened to you, like a death or say a car crash, for instance. But the feelings around that situation for both of you could be very different. Mm. So you can empathise but need to be aware actually they could be struggling a lot more with it or it might not have bothered them as much. Um, But what I have found is the timing's got to be right um the conditions have got to be right and you need to be aware of why you're doing it but when i have self-disclosed it seemed or it felt right because the response from the young person um felt appropriate there was a there was a connection there it was about building that relationship um but often some staff who are not as confident within their job I'm, I'm talking about um teaching staff so they'll, they'll be a brilliant geography teacher but they might not be as great because they're not trained in terms of therapy so they might often disclose a lot about themselves but it's not always as healthy as it could be and and sometimes when i've disclosed and the response from the young person is they've took it straight back to them so you know then they're not interested in me yeah they want me to be interested in them yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think self-disclosure is a real skill. And I use it to open up and create a further discussion as opposed to, uh, yes, I know how you're feeling, full stop. I think some people yeah. do use it like that. But I think if it's been if it's used to create a, a, a an ongoing discussion about it, I think sometimes it can help the young person who you're talking to or, or the adult that you're talking to open up that conversation and kind of like, okay, great, there's an opener here for me to talk about it further. And I think that's quite important too. Yeah, and I think I think I'd I'd agree, Mark. In terms of um, sometimes it can help you give a bit of context to what you're 
saying or supportive and in, as I was saying earlier in two different types of scenarios where um, I remember going on a training course about um, mental health awareness in sport and the lady who presented it was a small small group like this and um, she was trying to explain how to be more inclusive and she just explained her all, all her own issues with um, with bipolar and her own depression anxiety and, and how we could support somebody like herself in, being included in it. It was really powerful. And then I went to another event with the same lady presented and she didn't mention it at all. And I thought, oh, that's that's funny. She didn't she didn't say what all that experience is, but she didn't need to because it wasn't in the same context. And I thought that was quite it was quite important that she sort of managed it wasn't for her own benefit. She wasn't telling us to make get it off her chest, which sometimes how it feels. It's quite nice to get it off your chest. Mm. But then you're not really helping those around you. So you realise in different scenarios you don't need to do that. I think I learned that sort of as we're going along, but but I've got a question though. I guess I guess we're talking about self-disclosure in 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 session. I suppose that's kind of where we've drifted into. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering about kind of in just general conversation. I guess you do have that, don't you? Where somebody talks about something and goes, "Oh yeah, well I've had a similar mm-hmm. experience." That I hear that happen in different conversations. But my question is, I suppose, because we're talking about men, do men do that differently in their conversations to the way that women do it? Because my I guess my male perspective on it and i guess I'm, I'm i'm happy to be completely shot down with this is that women find it a lot lot easier to share things that are going on with themselves and difficulties and struggles and and, and stuff and do you know what i mean I'm just wondering. yeah yeah i do know what you mean i suppose you know as with men you've got people that wear their heart on their sleeves and you know everything about every emotion mm. they're feeling mm. and then you have got people that tend to be a bit more of a closed book um, and actually, people don't see their struggles until mm. quite late mm. on, so they hide behind things. Mm. I'm the clothes book one. I'm like, yes, everything's fine. I'm, you know, I tend, I'm, I'm not a great communicator for working in this industry and and communicating with other people and getting them to open up to me. I'm not great at that, I have mm. to say. So mm. I'm probably not the best person to ask. I'm just thinking. <laughs> Because most people know what I do, I often end up not counselling them, but using all the skills of counselling, even with my friends and my family. But I'm just thinking like two blokes in a pub, the, the biggest killer of men is suicide. So I, I, I just don't believe that they really talk about things that are going on for them. Mm. Even, uh, I, suppose, I think they probably do a bit more because it's it's big, isn't it? Uh, mental health and well-being, and there's a lot more social media. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't think they have those conversations holding a holding a pint of lager. Again, I'm stereotyping. Mm. Pint mm. of lager. More men are drinking vodka and gin these days. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think they stand there and say, "Oh, do you know what? I've really been struggling with my mental health this week." Mm. You might yeah. say something. No, I'd agree, and I don't think I've ever done that. It wouldn't be something you'd, you'd do necessarily at the football club or in or in the pub with your mates, and. And that was where I guess I think without it being men or women kind of thing, oh, the girls will chat at home and that's a girly thing and the, the lads won't chat at the pub. But um, I think it's finding the right way to do it. And, you know, it might be a case of, oh, we'll, we'll have a chat in the gym and you're not necessarily going to start crying, but you might want to try and say to your friend, oh, I'm just having a really tough time and find the right way. Because I don't know, for you guys as, as young people, you'd find people's reactions, I suppose, in terms of, if you did that in you know a group of group of friends, then they might not all be able to to help. Some you know would, some you know you're really good close friends. But um, I think you know I'd like to think I'd be able to do it. But 
as Mark was saying, I don't think I've ever done that in the pub to say to someone, oh, I've been you know, just really panicked all week and I don't mm. know why. And, mm. you know, I'm sure I have been. So, <laughs> um. what, what do you think, what's the fear? What, what do you fear might happen if you do talk to one of your friends? I know one of the worries I always have about it is just dampening the mood. Um, I've personally experienced some like trauma this year and about a certain mm. person and it's been certainly times when I've wanted to say something about this person but then I'm like, ah, I don't want to like ruin the, everyone's yeah, having a good time, I don't want to ruin this or mm. people going, oh, how how are you? Like, um, And then just being like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't want to have to go into detail but then some people are like, really? And then I'm still like, I still don't really want to go into this detail because I don't want to ruin your day. And yeah. that's my main worry. And just, yeah. yeah. So it's the fear of ruining somebody's day. Is there any... Or the fear of making someone else upset because if they feel as though they've failed you as a friend and they've let you slip into such a negative state, they may feel like they're responsible. Okay. Any any other thoughts about that? Is it the fear of not being listened to? Is it... I think for, um, I'm very comfortable with sharing my feelings um and tend to have always have been um when i wasn't i took myself out of the situation so i left the northeast and to, to move away um so so i'm co quite comfortable and i would talk to um my friends and when i really really struggled this year it she she was she was a good friend uh, she is a good friend and it was a female i think we might think females understand us more but that's contradictory because mm. I see a male counsellor. Yeah. I see I'm getting a different perspective from the friend to the male to the counsellor. Mm. There's all you get different perspectives from from different people, mm. and I won't go to some people, or wouldn't share to some people because I just think they they're not going to get it. They're okay. the type of they might say man up, or they might not mm. feel comfortable if I was crying. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're you're right. It's finding the the right kind of person and and the right the right friend really at times. And you know, I'll, I'll sort of you know I have a chat with my mate in the gym in the morning, and it, it won't be so emotional. But then I'll perhaps get quite emotional with my girlfriend or with with my sister or my family or something like that. And um, you know, like you said, it might be actual easier to talk to a female than a male. I think it it might just be a case of it's it's not traditional. I don't know if it's in, inherent. I wouldn't look back to the, the history books of uh, what, you know, like you said, men being the protectors and the saviors. Crying wasn't necessarily a natural thing. I, th you know, I can't think of how many times I'd have seen m my dad or my granddad cry. And it, it just depends on their levels of emotions. And um, yeah, I think that... Um, just finding the right the right friend and I'm I'm quite fortunate I've you know I because I work in mental health as well and, and colleagues like yourselves that I understand a bit more so I might know if a friend looks down to ask a question whereas perhaps other people are a bit afraid mm -hmm. of everyone wants to solve things I think if they are good friends they want to say oh, I've got a solution I know what it is but if you haven't got the signposting solutions then you think oh, yeah. oh don't want to go down that road so yeah you sort It'll of put people off yeah we, yeah. we often want to be as as practitioners but as friends we often want to fix and mm. rescue mm. but actually sometimes we can't sometimes you just got to stick with and be with that person and mm. not necessarily respond with oh i think you should do this i think you should do that mm. but just hear what they're saying mm -hmm. so it's not having an answer it's just having someone to listen to you yeah and but i think and i think that's where i <coughs> that's where i tend to sit sometimes sometimes i i i can work out my own solutions 
but sometimes it's just about having somebody just to kind of go actually this is what's going on for me at the moment um, this may explain the reasons why i'm behaving in this way it's not because of anything that you've done it actually i'm just in a i'm just in a place at the moment just where i need to just sit and just go through my gloomy day i know i'm going to come out at the end of it i'll be fine and mm. so i can kind of find out my work out my own solutions i guess there's also i also some have i i'm a bit Sometimes I'm a bit I'm a bit reticent at going to people and asking for support because I, I've been in situations where people have gone, you OK? And I've gone, no, not really. And then started to talk about the way I'm feeling. And instantly you get that not, you, you get that little look on their face that goes, oh, that was one of those social. Are you OK? Yeah. <laughs> that I didn't actually want you to tell me. They, it wasn't yes. what that was. A, that was a politeness as in kind of like, you're right. It wasn't one way you actually wanted me to say something. And then that's a really awkward situation to be in then because it's kind of like, oh, OK. Oh, um, and, stepped and, over and, there. Well, it, it's it's kind of like, oh, I didn't spot that that wasn't that wasn't an invitation. Mm. And I think that's also tricky as well, which is that 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 social thing that goes on for all of us, which is, yeah. you know, people will say, you're all right. You're okay. How are you today? Um, and it's more or less a greeting as opposed to an actual invitation. Mm. And sometimes I've had people give that to me and I've kind of gone, oh, you're genuinely, oh, you're not. Okay. And, and then that's made yeah. it a bit. So mm. so sometimes then it's kind of like, oh, that's a bit tricky. Yeah. And I find that's made a whole lot harder when you've got ASD because everything's confusing. And then yeah. the times I've like overshared when I was like, oh, they, they were just, that was just another way of saying hello. And it's like, it takes us so much to try and learn all that especially yeah and isn't that a horrible phrase overshared yeah it's <laughs> actually what does that does that mean that then there's an appropriate amount because it's that, that yeah i've i've had somebody say that to me that i've overshared and i found that really difficult because it's kind of like wow and it almost feels like there's a there's a trust been blown there somewhere yeah. because it's kind of like so you invited me to talk to you and at some point i should have stopped well, that's that's yeah. a broken relationship then yeah. is because how are you ever going to mm. trust them to say anything again mm. just but going back to the um you just mentioned about asd and how that makes it so much more difficult um to actually difficult to open up but difficult to know who to talk to <laughs> I don't know what to say because that was like my main point coming in but now it's actually come to it I don't know I've not really planned out what I'm going to say um, I just think uh, especially someone with autism it's a lot harder to open up because as someone with autism myself I struggle to read signals people give me so as Mar um, Mark was saying earlier I don't sometimes you perceive someone says um, they want to help you when actually it is just a formality whereas sometimes it's the other way around sometimes they actually want to help you and you just think it's a greeting and it creates a you know a boundary of confusion where you're never really comfortable talking to someone because like with a teacher you're not sure I mean I know most times teachers will want to help me but you're not sure whether they want to help you or they're just doing their job and I find it really hard and I know a lot of others do to read the signs of whether someone actually cares about you, which can make it with someone with autism, a lot, it make it a lot harder for them to open up. And yeah, did yeah, that? I've, sorry, um, I've sorry, had times you... where I've had like meetings with higher up people in the school, and they've been like, "Oh well, I saw, I saw him in the corridor earlier, and he said he was fine." And I'm thinking, yeah, well, in the middle of the corridor, I'm not just going to go. Well, actually, my day has been awful <laughs> because mm. you don't don't do that, and it's just like, yeah, the times I've mistaken when someone's actually meant it as a greeting and I've gone, yeah, I'm fine. And then people, you know, I've missed out on many times where I could have opened up and could have really probably mm. helped myself, but I haven't because I've misread that. And you need people to dig that little bit deeper. Yeah. 
Um, has that made it m- much more difficult to access therapy and to actually engage in therapy, your ASD diagnosis, do you um, think? I mean, I didn't really have a choice. I was sort of forced into therapy, which I'm actually quite glad I was because if I was given a choice, I wouldn't have gone for it and I'd probably still be in the same state I was a few years ago. But you're right, to start with, I really did struggle to um, accept help and listen to advice given to me by my counsellor. But slowly over time, as someone with autism, I learned to trust people mm. and I started to actually know they were there to help me and it got better. But we need to allow that more time then to yeah, do that. Just because someone has a first you know, month of sessions where they don't get on with their counsellor and they don't make any progress doesn't mean that should just be shut off and people should try a lot more to stick with a counsellor both for the young person and the actual people working at the medical service just because it's not going well for the first few weeks doesn't mean it's not going to get better and we need to try to make sure before to allow a boundary of trust is established between young person and counselor yeah i think especially for people with autism yeah it takes a long it's it takes a long time for anyone to build up a relationship with a counselor but i think especially when you've got asd meeting someone new is terrifying so Mm. it's like build going it's harder than to sit down and just say all your problems Mm. it might take an extra month or it might take a few more sessions than someone else might which makes short-term work really difficult i know personally i when i first accessed therapy it was a six week you know this is what we're going to do and i know mine had to go on a lot longer because it just took me so long to get anything out that was actually helpful so i think yeah it takes a long time to build up that relationship with a person that's not just a therapeutic and this isn't just for counselors i find this as generally with everyone teachers friends it takes me a lot longer to work out a place where i can trust them and accept advice they give me yeah i'm sure a lot of other people would feel the same about Mm. that i'm just thinking so i work in a school so if you've got a student who potentially is year seven and then they're in that school until year 13 if they stay for sixth form um you can work with them for a long time and actually no disrespect, but sometimes it feels like you're working with them for a long time because you've known them so long. So I'm working with a student now who I've known since year five and now they're in year 10. Um, but the good thing about that is it is open-ended. Yes, you have to be, you have to review the work and you have to think why you're doing it and whose agenda is it, is it again? Um, and is it for the benefit of that young person? But you can build those relationships up a lot of the time before you actually sit and do any work with them. Um, so I've tried to get more boys into my large room cupboard. <laughs> and um, so I was thinking, like, I'm reaching out to all these young people, posters, social media, assemblies, all of this. But I asked a year 11 who I was and he didn't know. And I'm thinking, damn, what we need to do more. Time, yeah. yeah. Um, and I wanted more boys because I was working with predominantly a lot more girls because they want to come and talk to Mr. Thomas about mm. what's going on. So I got a pool table and a dartboard. And I did get more boys in the room. So now that they're in the room, they're just coming in and playing pool and they're playing darts. But they're like, ah, Mr. Thomas, why have you got loads of elephants in your room? So then we talk about the court, the elephant Mm -hmm. in the room. Um, And then they get to know me a little bit better. And then they might feel less um, stressed or worried about coming at some point. And that sounds like a really good kind of early intervention type thing, doesn't Mm. it? Because it's almost like inviting them in before they acknowledge that they have a difficulty or an issue. Because I think the one one main, I think that I've I've read, there's a lot of uh, literature out there that kind of suggests that that males and young um, adolescent males deal with mental health issues in in lots of different ways compared to young girls, as in there'll be much more um, episodes of aggression or violence. 
And so that brings us to the end of part two of episode five of the Comes Talk podcast, uh, where we're looking at uh, the specific issues around men's mental health. Um, if you'd like to join us for part three of this episode, then that'll be coming out in a week's time. So hopefully we'll see you then. You've been listening to Cams Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Luton and Bedford Cams team and the Luton and Bedford Service User Participation Group. If you'd like to hear more from us, just go over to camstalk.com and subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any of the other platforms that you're using. Once you've subscribed, you'll get notification on your device every time we release a new episode. If you want to comment or share your views, you can contact us on Twitter using at camstalk or you can send us an email using info at camstalk.com. One last thing before we go. Don't forget to use the hashtag CamsTalkPodcast whenever you comment on social media. We'll speak to you soon.